you cannot be afraid because if you are afraid of anything, you're never going to get to the next step. You have to put yourself out there and just give it the best shot. Not everything is going to work. Trust me, it's not. I have failed many times and I don't really call them failures. Failure to me is when you fail to get up and try again. Today on the Zebra Blogs Before and After Furniture Finishing Podcast, we talk with Dew Dotson of Dew Dotson Designs. We'll discuss her work, but also we'll hear her encourage and provide guidance to those interested in starting an online furniture finishing business. I'm your host, Lane Ball with Zebra. Dew Dotson describes herself as the defender of ugly furniture. She is a creative business coach, furniture artist, blogger, photographer, retired nurse, wife, mother, and grandmother. She was our November blog feature, Meet Do, and she has been chosen multiple times for the Instagram hashtag Zebra Weekly Pick. If you would like to check out the pieces we'll discuss today, go to thezebrablog.com and click on the sidebar featuring Do Dotson. All of her pieces that we'll discuss will be highlighted with a podcast symbol. Hi, Do. Nice to have you on the podcast today. Hey, thanks for letting me join. This is going to be fun. I'm, I'm really excited about this. Hey, I have to ask you, now you live in Texas, and I know that Dallas is North Texas and Austin is more in the middle. Where roughly in Texas are you located? I am actually about 60 miles southeast of Dallas. So I'm in a small little community called Canton, Texas, and it has about 3,500 people, but we are known for a really, really large flea market called the First Monday Trades Day. And we have over a million people a year actually travel to our little town. So needless to say, um, that weekend, pretty much stay indoors. I don't go anywhere because the, the streets are flooded with people, and I would just rather sit at home on those weekends. Now, you said it's a, it's a flea market, so are people driving from like all over to come to this flea market? They do, Lane. They drive uh, all over the United States. People will pack up their their vans. Their you know they have motor homes. Um, they just pack up all their stuff. They come down usually the week before, and they have a place they actually can stay and set up. And then mm-hmm. they go and they sell their goods. And this happens once a month on like Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. So people travel for these shows every month, and it's 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 a big deal here. Oh wow! And now are you, I assume there's probably a lot of furniture there as well. Oh, yes. And that is why I do online (laughs) because there is so much competition in such a tiny little town. There's just no way that I could compete. Now, you said you are 60 miles southeast of Dallas? Correct. Now, so is that close to Waco? No, it's not. Waco is more south. Okay. And I'm more southeast because I'm actually in East Texas. And yeah, Waco is more south. But I definitely okay, know gotcha. where Waco is. Been there. That's 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 kind of gotten on the map in the last few years, hasn't it? <laughs> it really has, right? It's a it's a big thing. It's a, yeah. it's pretty awesome too. Actually, I've been down there as well. Cool. Now you're born and raised in Texas. Do I have that right? I am. I was actually born in Dallas, Texas, and uh, mom and dad had a home in the country. One here in Canton, where we live now, and one in in Dallas. So I went to school in Dallas, but every weekend it was like a mad rush to get to the country. So as soon as school was over, high school was over, I went to college, got out. Um, we all moved back to the country because this is where our roots are. This is what we love. Yeah. Well, listen, I understand you were a nurse for many years. How did you jump from nursing into furniture finishing? And was it a hobby until it became more of a second career? 
Oh my goodness. It's such a funny story because, you know, I've always been a repurposer. Uh, I come from a long line of, of women and men. My, my dad built houses, my brothers, everyone in my family has built a house. We've always taken old things and made it look pretty. We're just very frugal people. And no, um, I haven't always done that, but I've always done it not to sell, but to do for myself. So when after, um, after school and after college, uh, I became a nurse and started working, I found that it was very therapeutic to come home from a rough day and actually paint. Mm -hmm. So I've been doing it for years, just kind of as therapy, but then it just got more intense. I felt like I needed more therapy as my career advanced. And after 33 years, it was just like, I would rather paint than do anything else. It was just more relaxing and fun. And it didn't take long for it to actually turn into a business because I never intended it for it to actually be profitable. Mm -hmm. I, I, I thought it was interesting too, um, that in your background, you have wedding photography. So you are a wedding photographer? I was. I've always loved photography. Um, I guess I've, I've always, art was like my strong suit in school. I don't remember a whole lot about school other than my art teachers and the photography teachers that I took. So, you know, I, I guess having an artistic eye also has something to do with photography as well, because we see things a little differently than most people do. And it took me a long time before I realized that that was true about me. I just thought everybody's seen things like I did. And I couldn't understand why somebody would ask me questions. Oh my gosh, how did you do this? How did you do that? You know, tell me how you did this. And I just thought everybody did. So it took me a long time to understand that I have like an artistic vision and I've embraced it over the years. And it's just, it's, it's wonderful. It's, it's, and that is therapeutic as well. Yeah, that's such a terrific background as well, because, you know, if you think about the, um, the age that we're in with social media and the idea of furniture refinishing, you know, taking these old pieces and then adding your flair, your style into that piece, but then you have to capture it. And I think there's a, there's, um, a bit of a gap for some people because they struggle. They may have that art ability, but they don't necessarily have the photography ability. So for you to have that background in both is, is incredible. Yeah, it really is. And I did not plan it that way. I've, like I said, I've just always been kind of a visionary. I've always been able to see things before and actually put them together. And they don't always turn out the same. Believe me, they don't. But, you know, having the photography and understanding lighting and the colors, that really is the icing on the cake. And it really is. And that's something else that I teach also as well to other creatives. Well, it's certainly evident in your work um, from not only the furniture refinishing, but uh, the, the, the staged pieces and the photography. You do an excellent job. Thank you. I really, really love it. It is like, it, it's so exciting once I've painted a piece and I've gone through that process. But the next step is the staging. And my husband laughs at me because he knows I flutter around the house and I get things ready and I'm getting the lighting and I'm moving things from wall to wall because I use a lot of staging um items from my home for my photography because I want it to be authentic. I want it to look real. I want it to look mm -hmm. like it is my home because it is in my home, but I want to portray it in a way that other people can say, Oh, I can do that. You know, I just take my stuff from here and kind of move it around and make it look good. Sure. Well, we don't want to overlook that you are a wife and mom of four boys. Tell us about the ages. <laughs> what are the ages of your boys? Oh my goodness. Yes. Yes. Um, I, my oldest just turned 38 and I called him the other day to wish him happy birthday. And I said, happy 37th. He said, mom, 38. Oh my goodness. That just doesn't seem real. Right. And then the other ages we have, uh, 37, 
I've got one that just turned 30 and one that's 25. Wow. Well, congratulations. That's uh, that's an achievement in and of itself. And I bet they love to be able to see your work through social media, to be able to see you through your videos. That's, that's exciting for them as well. It is. And, you know, I'll, I'll get them to comment every now and then on a live or something. And I, and I know they, they don't watch much because they're very successful young men. They're married. They're, they're all out and doing their things. And I'm super proud and happy about that. But sometimes they'll share my stuff and I'm like, oh, that is such a good feeling to have your kids approval of what you're doing. Because what I do is not like everybody else. And I get all, I had got a lot of flack from my family when I wanted to quit my nursing job to paint furniture full time. That doesn't even make sense. <laughs> yeah. Well, you, yeah. I mean, because that's that's such a and it's an interesting because, you, you know, to have the medical career background and then to be able to get into the creative side, it probably it probably was uh, a bit of a, a challenge for people to accept that. They, it was, but you know, they've embraced it. But, but looking back, creativity also is in nursing because in nursing, we have to improvise a lot. We don't always have the tools that we need to take care of our patients. So we will be very, very creative. Nurses are very creative. A lot of people don't know that, but I have a huge following of nurses that do exactly what I do because they love to create and it's a good therapy and it's just something that's kind of built into them. Yeah, well, that's cool to know. Didn't realize that, but that uh, that's really interesting. You're also a creative business coach, and on your blog, you have written a great post entitled 13 Signs You Might Be Ready to Start an Online Furniture Painting Business. Now, one of those signs is you're not afraid to fail in your creative business. Explain what you mean by that. Well, that probably is the scariest thing. You know, when you jump like I jumped in from a nursing career over to painting furniture. I mean, the first thing you think is failure. I mean, is, am I going to make this work? How can I do this? But you know, you cannot be afraid because if you are afraid of anything, you're never going to get to the next step. You have to put yourself out there and just give it the best shot. Not everything is going to work. Trust me. It's not, I have failed many times and I don't really call them failures. Failure to me is when you fail to get up and try again. I call it just, we, it's a test. It didn't work. We're going to go do something else. So failure is something you can't be afraid of when you're going to start a business of any kind. You just have to embrace it and go with it and not be afraid to fail and try different things because you're going to have to. Yeah, I, li I like that definition of failure. Um, say that again for us. Failure really is when you fail is when you fall down and you don't get up. That's the way I think mm -hmm. about it. When you're a child, you know, when you're a baby, and I like to use this, this analogy, when you're a child and you're learning or baby and you're learning how to walk, you're going to fall multiple times and you keep getting up and you getting up. And the more you get up, the better you get at it. It's the same way in business. You can't be afraid to fail or to fall down because you're going to get back up. And if you fall down and you don't get up, that's your failure. Yeah. Well, and I think too, and you talk about this as well, but there's, there's, you know, for really for any business, for most in most cases, but especially when we're talking about furniture painting business, you don't just dive into it full time. I mean, it's a, it's a process. It's a it's a progression. Um, and and so, you know, that progression, I think, helps that process as well. Absolutely. That is nothing. I, and I don't teach this to any of the men and women that I coach is that you can't just quit your full time job and jump in. You're going to starve. You just really are. I mean, this was a planned venture. This was something that I thought about. 
over the years. I kept it to myself. I didn't uh, talk to my family about it because I know as a business owner, anytime, especially a creative business owner, when you have an idea, not everybody's going to see your idea and they're not going to understand it. And mm -hmm. you don't want that negative feedback because you do, it shuts you down. So I kept it to myself. I knew what I wanted to do and I just kind of grew it in my head until I got to a point. And then I sat down with the husband and I discussed it and we talked about it and he kind of looked at me funny, but you know, he has been my greatest supporter all along and you know, it's just been a wonderful journey. Well, that, that really leads us into my next question. And that is, when do I make the jump into doing this full time? I mean, you have folks that really enjoy it. They're making a profit. Um, but, but again, they, they do have that, that fear factor or there could potentially be other reasons why they're hesitating. But what would you say to that person um, who's just like right on the verge, but they're just, they're still, they're, they're just, they're not sure. I mean, do you have specific advice? Do you have a listing of, of a sort of a checklist that you think people should go through? And I know that article I mentioned earlier um, does that as well. But what would you say to that person? You know, and that's, that's a really, um, Great question, because what I did and what I suggest you do is look at your finances. I mean, can you actually afford to take less than what you're making? Because when you jump from this amount of money every year, your benefits and all of that, you're not going to be able to start your business and do that. We all know business takes time and it may take a couple of years to actually get up and running. If you're lucky, you're doing good in two years. I've been very, very blessed, but I've also been very dedicated and hard and I did the background work before. So get your finances in order. Pay off all of your bills that you have. I mean, that was the, the first thing that I looked at was how much money did I have to have to make it each month to mm -hmm. sustain myself to pay the bills at home. I do have a spouse that works full time, so he can cover the insurance for me. So, I mean, I'm not saying just quit your job and just jump out there because it's not a smart idea. You have to plan and organize and structure this. And I knew that I needed to make X amount of money to cover the bills. And then I worked from there. And every month I would make a little more than what my bills cost me. I'd take that and put it back into my business. And it just kind of grew and grew and grew from there. So you have to be very strategic with your finances before you jump out into this. That's such great advice because it makes you wonder if you took a poll of how many people that jumped into the full-time side of the business yet um, struggled immensely and potentially even failed financially because of that stranglehold of finances. They just really weren't ready financially to be able to do that. Didn't have the capability financially to do it at that point. Absolutely. And you hear a lot of people take out loans for their business. I do not suggest that. That is one of the things I say, don't go take out a loan. There's no guarantee. Mm -hmm. You just can't put yourself in that kind of situation. That's, that's just too scary for me. Yeah. Speaking of profit and uh, furniture finishing, do you find that folks who struggle making a solid profit on their work is generally because they price too low or they have too much into each piece even before it's ready to be sold. And, and what I mean by that is, you know, you, you look at the different elements of the process and you've got, you know, finding and locating the right pieces at the right prices. And then you also have the, uh, the raw materials that go into producing this work of art. And that would be the prepping and, and also the paints themselves. And some of those paints are, are rather expensive. So, what what do you find from working with other furniture uh, furniture finishers? What what do you is it is it that they price too low or that they just 
they have too much into each piece before it's ready to be sold? That's a great question. Great question. I think there's a multiple, uh, there's a lot of factors that go into that. Uh, the biggest one really is going to be pricing. Mm-hmm. You know, um, a lot of people do not value themselves. We as creatives have a huge heart. We love what we do, but we don't find value in what we do. We just think it's pretty and we just want to share it with everybody. I hear this all the time, but until we can actually see how valuable we are and that this piece of furniture is a work of art, art means it can't be replicated. So therefore it's going to be more valuable. And they don't see that as that. I guess as, as individuals, we just don't own our greatness is what I say, but we've created this and we need to look at that as art. So also you need to look at the aspects of what you have into it. Like you said, you know, you're, you have to think about your travel time to go and find the piece that may take you all day to find one piece. That's a lot of money. And then your gas and then your wear and tear on your car. And then you come back and then you have to haul it somewhere and then you have to clean it and then you have to repair it. I mean, all of the stuff you have to add into the price of that piece. And then once that piece is done and then your products, like you said, your paint and some of these are real expensive. And then, you know, you have to take it and then you have to stage it. That's a lot of time in itself. I take sometimes four hours with one piece staging. And I know that sounds crazy, but I want my work to be the best that it can be so that I can get the top dollar for that as well. So all of that, and then is where you actually sell it. A lot of people go to marketplace and sell it on Facebook or garage sale sites. And that should be a light bulb moment. That's a garage sale site. You're going to get a garage sale price. Mm -hmm. Those are not your people. So I actually teach that they need to go and find their market. You need to find who your market is. Is your market someone in a garage sale site or is it the business owner or the lawyer or the doctor, you know, who's willing to pay shipping for this piece because it's so magnificent Mm -hmm. and they're going to pay top dollar because they know that it is artistic. Mm -hmm. That's a key Mm -hmm. point. And I, and I really hope that, uh, as you said earlier, that people realize that when you take a piece of furniture and you put your work onto that piece and it becomes, uh, it's like, it's like painting a canvas. I mean, it's, it's a, an exclusive work of art and that's what these pieces are. And that alone puts tremendous value on these pieces. You know, talking about work, let's talk about your work. Let's, let's talk about your painting style. How did you develop it? I mean, was this over a long period of time or was it something you started and have just continued to develop? Oh yeah. Nobody starts out being an artist. They just don't. I mean, you start it with one piece. I remember the very first piece of furniture probably I painted was probably when I was a teenager, you know, um, it's just evolved over time. You know, we draw inspirations from others. We look at others work. We are inspired by so many things. I'm inspired by a lot of nature. I like kind of a dark moody look. That's kind of my style. Um, it evolves over time and then it evolves with products because you have all different kind of products that actually do different things. And as creatives, we're always wanting to test and challenge and see what else we can come up with. It's just a fun, it's a creative outlet for us. It's, it is our business, but it's just, it's a fun to just to create and come up with different ideas. Yeah. You know, you mentioned on your blog that, uh, you are attracted to the ugliest and saddest pieces of furniture. <laughs> I, I thought that was so great. Tell us about the ugliest. I mean, I mean, the ugliest and the saddest piece that you have ever tackled. I mean, what kind of shape was it in and how did you transform it? 
Oh my gosh, Lane, that is so funny because you know, everything I get is pretty sad and ugly. <laughs> I could tell you story after story after story, but there is one piece that comes to mind when we talk about this that had, I was out shopping um, at um, at the flea market, our local flea market, and there's one little, little place that I go that I know I can get $5 fines and I love it when I can buy something for $5. I love it more when I can get it on the side of the road, but that's rare and in between. But I found uh, a little $5 piece, you know, and it was pitiful. It was just really, really sad. It had veneer damage all over it. Um, it was a mid-century modern kind of piece. And I thought, you know, I love the mid-century modern. I like the clean lines because that gives me a blank canvas. I don't mm -hmm. have a whole lot of details. So I brought it home and I started chipping away at it and just had layers of veneer. And I thought, how in the world am I ever going to make this look good? It was a little nightstand. So I took all the veneers off and then I had an idea, you know, once I got the veneer off, a lot of times as furniture painters, and they're going to know this, when you take the veneer off, it's actually wood underneath in these old mm -hmm. pieces. And they covered up some beautiful wood. And I, I do a lot of veneer removal. So I decided to, you know, to work on that. And from there, um, I called it my diamond in the rough. That was kind of what I named it. And I don't, I don't name all my furniture, but sometimes, you know, you hear people say furniture speaks to me. Sometimes you just kind of get this feeling about this. So I painted it... Um, just a, uh, I had a little gold to it because I love gold and I thought that would be appropriate. And um, I actually took and cut grooves in the top of it and made it kind of like a farmhouse piece. So it, it was all over the place. It just had a little farmhouse vibe and then it had a little farmhouse glam to it. But it turned out really pretty. And then on the insides of the drawers um, and on the outsides of the, the slides, I actually made a little diamond pattern on that so that when you slide it in and out, you can actually see it. So that was my little diamond in the rough. And it was, it was terrible before it was just a huge transformation. It made me feel so good about it. Now I'm curious when you do most of your shopping, when you're strategically going out to look for furniture pieces, do you go alone? Do you take your husband? Do you have um, girlfriends that go with you? What, how do you typically do that? Oh no, I always go by myself. I can't yeah. be distracted. <laughs> <laughs> or so discouraged, am, right? Yes, because I'm on a mission. And when I'm on a mission, I go and I look and I hunt. So, and you know, honestly, Lane, I don't do as much as I used to because most of my work now is online. I actually do, um, a lot of people bring me furniture uh, to me. Mm -hmm. They drop it off. It's nothing unusual to have a piece of furniture on my front porch one morning when I wake up because people know <laughs> what I do. And they're like, oh, I want to see what she does. And they also know that my work is online. So for them to say, oh, that was my furniture that she did. And now it's on Pinterest and now it's on her website. They kind of love that. So then, therefore, I will take these pieces and then I'll donate them to local charities, uh, different events. And I've got an event coming up next month for uh, multiple sclerosis. And I'm going to be doing a piece for them as well. So wow. it's just it's really fun. That's so good to hear that, do. That's that's uh, that's really great. And, you know, I, I'm sure a lot of those people drop those pieces off. Can't wait to see what you've done with it or what you're going to do with it. I mean, that's uh, to yeah. see that transformation. I want to talk yeah. about a few of your pieces, uh, a couple pieces that uh, that I want to highlight right now. And one is that uh, you did a dresser and the design of that dresser was that it was natural at the bottom and it has a white paint from the top down to where it meets approximately in the middle drawer. This piece is so unique and it just has the right balance. So there's two questions I have for you. How did you come up with this design and how did you know when to stop? That is so funny. And you know, that piece right now is my coffee bar. 
And really? I really, really love it. Yeah, it's it's a special piece. And some of these special pieces I do keep. And that's probably one I'll keep for a long time. Yeah. And I'll share this with you too. My mother-in-law visited over the holidays. And one of the first things she does is coming in. You know, um, some of us older people don't always embrace the paint. They don't like it so much. They like the wood. Yeah. Well, mm-hmm. she looked at it immediately and said, I don't like that. <laughs> <laughs> God bless you. Thank you for your opinion. But yeah, yeah, I love it. So, you know, when I get these pieces, I look at them and I and I appreciate the wood. I do because I know the artist before that made it. They worked on it. They hand, you know, sanded it. And it was just beautiful. So I look at it and and if a piece can be saved and I can take it back to where it will be functional and look good in today's modern decor, then Mm -hmm. I will try to do that. But this piece here specifically had a lot of damage on top, but not so much on the bottom. Mm -hmm. And I don't know how that happened. Maybe it was sitting in a barn and something was sitting Mm -hmm. on top of it, or who knows where these pieces have been. But the bottom was in such good shape that I thought, you know, let me see if I can salvage some of this and then maybe just paint over the pieces that need to be painted. So I started from the top and then I had this vision. I was like, you know, this is a story. This is a story of how, you know, how ugly it was, but it was beautiful too. So I put the two pieces together and just kind of blended them. It just kind of came to me. I was like, I'm just going to see what this looks like. And it actually turned out really good. And I I really, really like it. Oh yeah. I mean, uh, when, when you look at that piece, you see balance to it. And I think it would be really easy as you're, as you're working on a piece like that to, to do a little maybe too much or to, to, to kind of keep going with it. But uh, I suppose that goes back to, to just to having that creative ability, that, that uh, God-given talent and uh, gift, because you do know when to stop. And that, that certainly that piece is evident of that. Speaking of natural pieces, there was an armoire that you've, that you found and you say you found that away uh, from home. I think you, I think I, I read it was an hour away on a face at a Facebook garage. Um, and uh, I want you to talk about that piece. What did you do to that piece and how did you decide not to paint it? I mean, was that, tell walk us through that process. I will. I will. I remember viv- vividly when I found it, I was actually in the grocery line on my phone because you know when we're sitting in a grocery line and we're bored we immediately we grab our phone so I'm looking I'm always looking for furniture and a find so I found this piece and I thought oh you know and it was a good price but it, the 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 photo was very poor so sometimes I can look through the photos mm-hmm. and determine if it's a good piece kind of knowing furniture history you know what to look for and you know it's going to be a disaster usually. It always is. You always have so many things to fix. So, but um, I met with a lady and I told her I wanted it and I would drive and I knew it was an hour away. And I thought, this is a big risk to take because that's an hour and I really don't know by photo. And that you don't get all the details that you need because they don't know to tell you what you're asking. They really don't know. So I went and I picked up this piece and I immediately fell in love with it. It was just a really, really old armoire, but it was covered with black paint just covered with black paint, but it was strong. It did need some repairs on it. So when I brought it home, I I intended to paint it after, cause it had already been painted. And I thought, well, I'm gonna have to strip it anyway. And we'll see what's underneath it. And as I started stripping this piece, the wood was just amazing. Mm -hmm. And what had happened was the paint that was on there prior to it. And when I stripped it, some of the paint was still left in the wood. So it gave it some kind of dark behind, but then you could see the wood grain too. And I thought, 
there's no way I'm going to paint over that. That looks gorgeous the way it is. So I stripped it down and sealed it and left it as is. I'm not going to touch this with paint. It was beautiful. It set. I priced that piece of furniture so high that I thought no one would buy it. And for six months, nobody did. And then one person come by and said they wanted it. And I have to tell you, I cried a little when it walked out the door because I was like, I love that piece so much. Yeah. And I priced it so high. So to tell you that there's value to your work, somebody out there is going to see that value. Somebody's going to want it and they're going to see your vision. So yeah. don't underprice yourself. Very good advice. Tell us about your favorite piece. Oh my goodness. Favorite pieces. Oh, probably I would say my favorite piece is the piece that I thought was the ugliest. And it is a piece that has a copper leaf and then it has like a turquoise paint. Mm -hmm. Uh, and also you'll notice in the staging, if you've ever seen it, and if, when I say this, you may know what, which one it is. It's the piece that has the broken down piece of furniture in front of it, the chair. Mm -hmm. That's all. And that is my favorite piece because honestly, when I was actually doing that piece after I did it, I totally hated it. I thought this is the ugliest thing I've ever seen. It doesn't even look good. How am I going to, how's this going to make sense to my viewers? Who's going to understand this? But the thing that happened was the staging. It wasn't the piece itself that I painted, but when I put it together with the staging and then pulled that old chair that was broken down and didn't have a seat in it, it just made sense. Mm. I, I don't know how to explain it other than that because that's my artistic vision and in my head going. Mm -hmm. But it's, sometimes it's not just about the paint that you put on it, but it's actually how you displayed that. And if you can take that information and make your the people that want to purchase your, your furniture understand that they're going to be more apt to buy your furniture. Right. Well, we'll do, what is the best way for folks to contact you? They can actually contact me, um, at Donna at dudodsonddesigns.com by email. And they can also find me over on my website and that's dudodsonddesigns.com. I'm across all social medias. All you have to do is search dudodson designs and I'm going to pop up. Very good. Well, it's been really great chatting with you, Do Thanks for taking some time out of your busy schedule. And I have no doubt that listeners have been encouraged and informed by your words. Hope you have a great day, Do. Thank you so much, Lane. I've enjoyed this very much. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of the Zebra Blogs Before and After Furniture Finishing Podcast. Today's episode is also featured on the zebrablog.com, along with contact information for today's guest. Your comments and suggestions for future episodes are always welcome, and we encourage you to share those by clicking on the podcast slide in our header at thezebrablog.com. That's the zebra with an I.com. Thanks for listening and happy refinishing. <laughs>